I always say to people, don't sort of dwell on what you don't have. Really sell, and I, you know, people don't like that word, but really promote what you have done and do it in a way that nobody else can have that or has that background or has that experience or can tell that story. And I think that's probably the most powerful way of doing and coming across as the authentic self. In today's episode, we talk about the barriers that you have to overcome as a doctor when you are changing careers. We talk about the difference between perseverance and persistence. We talk about the big world of pharma and the barriers that you need to overcome to get there. And also what it means to speak the language of industry. So in this episode, I interview Dr. UK Nahare, who is a medical manager at big pharma company Astellis on this very topic. Don't miss this episode if this is you changing careers or you going into pharma. And as always, make sure that you're joining our wider community at medicfitness.org forward slash join our mission to get regular updates and new opportunities. And as you know, we are running an amazing fellowship program and there is a wait list. If you want to be on that, if you're changing careers, if you're growing as a leader in industry, then join us at medicfootprints.org forward slash industry. Anyway, on to the episode. So let's get real. Our value as doctors has significantly diminished over the last decade. So how can we turn that around by upskilling and creating rewarding and impactful careers on our own terms? Welcome to Disrupting Doctors' Careers. I'm your host, Dr. Baina Bubbers-Jones, and I'm on a mission to connect one million talented doctors with the best in diverse career opportunities. Welcome to today's episode of Disrupting Doctors' Careers. And so we really dive into what does it mean to persevere and or persist in your career change plans. We know for many and for most, it can be a really rocky road, especially when you're moving from clinical to industry. And especially if you're going into competitive sector like pharma, you will inevitably face a lot of blockers and barriers. And the question is, how do you overcome that? So in order to address this topic, um, it's a pleasure for me to introduce today's guest, Dr. Yuki Nehare, whose journey uh, started uh, with Medic Footprints. He is currently the UK medical manager for urology and transplant at Estellus, which is a pharma, it's a Japanese-based international pharma company. This is the first time I've actually read out a blurb. I actually read out the book. He put it in the chat box. I was like, "Hey, I'm going to read this." He's put it in the chat box. That that's who we are today. Um, but you know, he he his journey started with Medic Footprints when he moved from clinical to industry. Um, he really used it as a a starting point to really help him gain clarity on where to focus his moves, and then he'll tell us a little bit about his journey. Um, and then he managed to get into pharma, which we know is hugely competitive and increasingly so. And this is why we're talking about perseverance with Yuki. So welcome. Hi, Dana. Thank you so much for having me on the show. 
Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And also, it was great to see you. I was last month at the Royal Society of Medicine, uh, Medical Affairs Pharmaceutical Society. It's so really bizarre, like seeing people in person that you've met online or spoken to online, isn't it? It's a nice change. It's really good that things are opening back up again. And we can sort of meet each other face to face after the pandemic. And yeah, it was a really, really well attended Congress. And yeah, lots of people gained a lot from that. So yeah, thank you for sponsoring and supporting that. Yeah, no problem. Anyway, let's dive in. So, I mean, before we were talking about what's the difference between perseverance and persistence. um, So the question is, what is the difference? (laughs) I'm going to go and like chat GPT this whilst you answer it. Um, In in career change. So we know, so one of the reasons why I was really keen on inviting you to this episode is because I know what you had to do to get into pharma and it wasn't an easy road. Um, And that involved a, a few real significant challenges. So... Let me, let's step back from that. Like what role and why persevere? I should say, why persevere in career change as a doctor? I think it's not necessarily why, it's how. I think perseverance is almost, it's almost a necessity when you've done something like medicine for a significant amount of time to sort of pivot and to change into a, a different function, a different speciality a different industry, it's going to take a significant amount of effort. And there's a lot of different facets to try and achieve it in terms of how do you do it. And it's not always successful. And I think for a lot of people, you know, myself included, and a lot of medics, not being successful in that transition is difficult. And you really do have to, um, to persist and to persevere to achieve your goal because It may not happen the first time, the first few months. It can take people, I think, on average up to sort of 14 to 16 months, I read, to sort of transition from medicine. So that's a lot of, it's a large amount of time and you have to have a bit of a roadmap and a bit of staying power to actually achieve that. I mean, actually, I was taken aback by the 14 to 16 months. Uh, So no, it didn't take you that long or did it from the beginning of your journey? Yeah, I think I managed to move through after about six months. But again, that was built on so many factors and the right time, the right place, and really you know, learning as much as I could along that way. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's incredible because I mean, we'll, we'll talk about some of the detail behind that. But I think one of the things that stood out to me there is people or doctors underestimate how long it takes, especially when you're making that transition from the time you decide that you're actually going to do it because as we know as doctors we tend to think about these things for years and um, we did a poll recently and like how long of, of our Facebook group how long have you been thinking about changing careers before you actually did something about it and the vast majority said two years or more and like what we should yeah. be asking is actually how much longer because some people were like I knew when I was in medical school <laughs> that I was going to be staying yeah. do you know what I mean so so yeah, so it's like, so there's different phases of it, which is A, deciding that you're going to, that this isn't for you, you're going to move and B, doing something about it. And the doing something yeah. about it also can be quite long because most people don't know what to do. Absolutely. And it's, also, it's also the right opportunity as well. You know, wanting to move, sometimes it's timing. You may want to move, but actually what suits you best, where you want to go, the industry, the specialty, the, the company may not have a have a role that's available. So there are a lot of factors that are outside of your control. But I think, you know, 
you have to focus as much as you can on what you can control. Absolutely, absolutely. So, I mean, just check, uh, checking my my assistant chat GPT four. <laughs> um, there basically says perseverance and persistence are closely related concepts. Um, but they have subtle differences in meaning. So perseverance is a, the ability to continue striving towards a goal despite difficulties and challenges um, or delays in achieving success. I really like that description. And persistence, it refers to the quality of being determined to do or achieve something despite difficulties or opposition. So I, I think that that's really interesting. I, I particularly Absolutely. identify with the whole word striving towards a goal despite the difficulties. And you know, I think about going into medicine, as we know, like all doctors, you have to demonstrate that you've got the academic know-how and the extracurricular achievements to go with it. And most of the medical curriculum is um, lectures, exams, and clinical. And so a lot of it is, you know, test base a scenario base and you're you're ticking off boxes as as you go ahead however and and most people can get through that right however when you're going into the industry landscape it's it's a completely different picture um because you can be trying your best and you may continue to face the same blockers without really being clear on why that's happening because the rules are are quite different like for example in medicine you know, if you're like, if you pass this, then you'll get this. Whereas in industry, it's like, well, you might or might not get it, depending. You could be amazing and still not get that job. Yeah. Right. That's so, difficult to, to absorb, I think. And also, I think you made a really good point about that med school analogy, because at medical school, there's a bit of a herd mentality. You're doing it with a cohort with lots of other people. That in itself can be quite powerful. But changing industry, it's a bit of a lone wolf activity. You really do have to, to do it to generate that enthusiasm, that energy yourself, to be able to cross that divide, because it's it's not always easy. I think for some people, perhaps, but I think for the majority of people, it takes a sort of an internal large amount of effort and also an external lots of different things that you kind of have to do. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. But just m- moving, moving a little bit further, which we've, we've kind of touched upon, is the barriers um, to change amongst doctors. So, I mean, I, I remember what, what stopped me from moving or what delayed it. And I think for me, it was so that the fact that I'd invested what seemed to at the time, seemed to be at the time, a lot of my life, <laughs> you know, <laughs> getting into medicine, training, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. and only to throw it all away for another career, right? Uh, that, that's also what a lot of colleagues, especially those who knew nothing but medicine, would also say. Right. So why would you throw it all away? And again, it's a mindset of actually is moving to another career opportunity, whether it's medical or non-medical. Is it really throwing all away the last however long of your life it is? I I think not. I mean, pharmaceutical medicine, we know, is a specialty in itself. (laughs) Right. It is an actual GMC, you know. So, again, it's, it's, it's really about the mindset. But for me, I'd say that's one of the biggest barriers that I've seen. But I'd love to hear from you. Like. For you, how long did it take you to decide, A, to make a change and B, actually move? Yeah, so I mean, that that mindset barrier is huge. I think for me personally, um, that was probably the most difficult. I think actually the actions, the, per- the perseverance, the actual doing of things, I found that lends itself to my personality. 
But actually, once you get the opportunity, actually realizing I am going to leave perhaps a part of your identity or what you've always done for a long time behind and take on a new identity in whatever career role you have. From a behavioral science point of view, that for me, I thought was quite challenging. And I think you kind of have to be quite honest with yourself and do a little bit of soul searching, a little bit of reflection, and actually just maybe talk to people. I think that was one thing that I found really helpful with that sort of personal internal barrier, being able to overcome it. I remember saying to somebody that the most difficult thing I found is actually when I had a contract and I had to sign it and it actually became real because at that point, it wasn't you know, an objective or something that I was working towards. It was, okay, this piece of paper is saying you're leaving one career behind and moving to a different career. But actually, I think a lot of that is internal. And um, I think, like you said, when people move from clinical medicine into industry that's healthcare related, we often forget it's still patients that you're helping. It's still using all of that clinical training, that experience, those insights to fundamentally help improve the lives of patients. So I think that's probably a little bit more of an internal barrier that just probably speaks to one's own you know, inner voice that you kind of have to overcome, but probably shouldn't be underestimated sometimes, that aspect of things. I think that's great. And I think one, one thing that stood out to me when I was speaking to you previously was some of the barriers of actually getting into your industry of choice, right? And and in this case, pharma, big pharma, you know, one of the things that I notice a lot is when doctors, doctors will go with what they know. And most oh. doctors will know consulting, uh, McKinsey, Bain, BCG, and they know pharma. GSK, Novartis, you know, you, know, you name it, big pharma, you know, the big names. In, in their minds and their eyes, that's, that's, those are the only choices, especially when it comes to consulting. Like you've literally, I've only got three firms I can apply to. Not true, but that is the mindset that we see, right? Um, but as we know, with, you know, celebrity firms or celebrity companies, I like to call it, um, it's hugely competitive and very difficult to get in. So when it comes to actually building up yourself as a business case I like to describe it sometimes uh, positioning yourself so to give yourself the best chance of getting in what barriers do you face in that journey yeah I think it's a really good question I think the barriers there's probably maybe threefold you have sort of your own do I have enough clinical experience have I got enough to sort of pivot and to leverage to get into industry you know I think people often think well I've only done x number of years or you know, I'm not quite a registrar, I am a registrar, I'm not a consultant, but actually there is a whole host of different roles for different people at different levels. Another key barrier I think that I found going through my process was actually having industry experience. You know, you'd apply for a role and then one of the bits of feedback would be, you know, we want somebody with industry experience. So how do you get industry experience if you don't get a job? And I think that's a well said story but I think there are ways to overcome that. And it's how you sort of present yourself, package yourself, how you sort of develop a bit of a brand for yourself that you may not be in industry, but you are doing as much as you can to understand, to develop and to be aware of industry. And I think that is probably one of the key hurdles. You know, I think actually how much clinical experience, you have clinical experience, you can't change that, how senior you are, but you can leverage that really well. But I think the branding of yourself. I think it's often said LinkedIn, the CV, you know, going to events, meeting people, all of that can really develop a sort of persona that can be really powerful. 
and creates a brand that people are like, well, you know, we want to give this person a chance. And I've heard of many examples of people getting an industry role with no experience and beating people who have experience. But it does take a bit of a mindset shift and a bit of investment of time and energy. How do they achieve that, Yuki? How, I mean, like, because we talk about the chicken and egg scenario when it comes to getting industry yeah. experience all the time. Um, and this is one of the things that we're trying to address, especially through our fellowship, Doctors and Industry Fellowship, to get doctors paid experience, whether that's a project or secondment. But and it's really interesting to hear that it, it, it is about the mindset shift and how you position yourself and how you articulate the your like how do you tease out the skills that you already have and say how this is relevant for the job because that's essentially what companies are looking for um, because you as you said you can get you can have an industry experience but if you can't articulate what you've gained from that experience and how valuable is that to them so mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that because I think this is one of the, one of the big challenges that a lot of doctors face I think a lot of it is sort of understanding the self being able to articulate and demonstrate what's your usp you, you know i always say to people don't sort of dwell on what you don't have really sell and I, you know people don't like that word but really promote what you have done and do it in a way that nobody else can have that or has that background or has that experience that can tell that story and i think that's probably the most powerful way of doing and coming across as the authentic self and it probably takes a bit of experience i think putting yourself out there applying for lots of roles as well as you can and then it becomes iterative you sort of learn from rejection i think i learned more from the roles i got rejected from than anything else that probably i'm glad i got rejected for those because it made me the candidate that i was by the time i did get a role um and you know can i ask how how many were they i think i was 50 50 yeah so I got a few roles towards the end, but I re- got rejected for about three or four roles on the way to that. But I mean, I was very selective about the roles that I wanted to apply for because, you know, I was coming in a stage in my career that I really wanted to leverage my experience and make that as transferable as possible because mm-hmm. then I would maybe mitigate that aspect of the work. You know, if you understand the therapy area, whether or not that's coming from a urology background or an oncology background, then you just have to learn the business and the industry so that was my approach to it really apply for roles that were specific to my sort of experience because then I could leverage my background as much as possible mm-hmm. your background is urology yes yeah, so I started off in um yeah so going back to my background I started off at medical school in London developed an interest in urology and sort of prostate kidney and bladder disease and through surgical training and research and then eventually into interventional radiology that's how I sort of developed my sort of experience of the medical, the surgical and the diagnostic treatment of patients. So it was, I think it was relatively unique, but my, my interest was always sort of urological disease. Mm. I mean, and, and if you look back to some of your interviews and even the, the last one, yeah. <laughs> the best one, obviously, um, what were hiring managers particularly interested in when it came to you as a person? I think what I was surprised about really, your CV is what gets you into the door, but actually what they were most interested in was how you could figure out problems, how you could articulate, how you think, because now that I'm on the other side, they really want to see, can you work out problems effectively within your own limitations and also ask for help at the right times, know where your resources are. They just want to make sure that 
you are someone that can be trained and can implement and integrate well into the team. And I think when you think back by the questions, that's really what they're looking at. They're not looking yeah. for the finished product. And I think some people perhaps think, well, you know, I've got all this experience of all these publications. They're not looking for that. They're really looking at something you can use that and work things out really effectively. Right. I think I think that's that's really good feedback because you know we've seen and heard that across the board. With um, like, I think there is more of an emphasis on yeah how how do you problem solve? Yeah. Um, how do you work in a in a crisis moment? How do you work collaboratively? across teams with internal and external stakeholders um, how much commercial acumen do you have at this stage and as you said like how trainable are you are you a global thinker because you know a lot of these big pharma they're big because they're, they're global right Absolutely. so they, they need to think outside of the box and outside of that pigeonhole view that we most of us have especially if we are predominantly public sector doctors um so i think i think those are really great insights I mean, have you have you ever interviewed now that you're in? Have you been on the other side yet? Not yet. I've been observing, but I haven't been functionally interviewing. And I think it's it's really interesting when you get to the other side because you empathize so much. You can you can tell looking at a CV or how candidates come across the genuine enthusiasm that people want to come through, but it does take a little bit of work and a little bit of you know perseverance and effort and Unfortunately, sometimes rejection, which is another barrier as well, how people deal with rejection and um, to really be able to come across as the candidate that, you know, going to come across because it's so competitive now. I think what I'm reading and hearing about the number of candidates per role, it's, you know, with the current situation that we're in, you know, more and more people are looking at alternative options um, with their medical career. So, yeah, there's more and more people. And I think pharma is a bit unique because you're not just competing against other medics. You're also competing against pharmacists and scientists and people with PhDs. And every company is slightly different with what their preference or what they're looking for. So you do have to compete in a different ballgame sometimes. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a melting pot, really, isn't it? it it's it, And as you said, like, it really is understanding your unique selling points i mean we've talked about we talk about selling in this podcast on our website and all of our content particularly one of our the first masterclasses of our industry fellowship is on how to sell yourself um and yeah it's it's a skill that not many doctors organically have when it comes to themselves just because of the culture that we say grew up in in medicine yeah. Uh, particularly in the UK, I should say. It's a little bit different elsewhere. Um, but it, yeah, it is, it is an essential skill that you definitely need to learn to survive um, in industry. And I think selling isn't exactly what people traditionally think it is as well. I mean, tell me a little bit more about how you learned or how you decided how to really articulate your own strengths and communicate that, like what that process for you looked like. I think... First of all, it's probably a bit of reflection, you know, where am I at now? You know, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? You have to do a bit of a SWOT analysis. What can you do quite well? And then be very targeted about how to improve. And I think in terms of how you do that, for me, it was, you know, there's so many resources out there. I sort of, you know, did a deep dive into everything that I could find, you know, from podcasts of other people who were doing it, reading books, people explaining, you know, their own 
approach to doing such things and also just speaking to friends and colleagues you know i'm very fortunate to have a lot of people around me who have done something similar before maybe in pharma or within you know management consultancy i've got three younger brothers there's four of us two of us in medicine two of us in finance so there's always been an, an opportunity for me to see how other people approach a problem that as a medic i would be quite formulaic and looking at but actually you know, you have to sort of approach it from a different perspective in industry and be open and willing to learn. So I think that was my approach, you know, really look at all the resources, you know, books, podcasts, YouTube, there's so much stuff out there, which is amazing. Um, and then just really try and work on how you can improve coming across, how you can promote yourself. LinkedIn, again, is another thing that I found really useful. Looking at other people who've done a really good job and, you know, not copying it, but mimicking it. You know, you can see how they've approached it. You can see how they've used it as a tool. Um, your CV is another powerful thing. I know you talked about this before on your, on your podcast, but you've got to get it out to people to look at it and change it from that medical CV to an industry CV and being humble enough to appreciate that you're going to have to do it. Because if you send a 10-page medical CV, no HR or recruiter is going to sort of look at that. Yeah. No, absolutely. Again, it's it's about really understanding. It's it's like getting into medicine, whereby I know a lot of people did kind of pre medical courses to really understand yeah. how to give themselves the best chance of getting in, and it's similar in the sense that moving to industry, even though there aren't really any kind of written rules, there are kind of rules, <laughs> right? It's it's a lot more nuanced. There's a different culture, and again, it's about understanding what the culture is, particularly for the sector that you're going to, or even the company that you're going into or that you're, you're that you're really committed to um because I know a lot of people do tend to sometimes spread themselves a bit thinly uh spray and pray approach which as we know yeah. is is literally a numbers game and sometimes people that, that strategy does work for people but I think particularly when you're in a competitive field unless you're like you know shit hot person <laughs> um it's it's much better to be targeted in your approach and really get to know the people within the, the companies. Um, yeah. In one of our previous episodes um, with John and Dickham, we talked about culture in organisations and in farm in particular, and really how to kind of suss it out, whether it's right for you, uh, preferably mm-hmm. before you go in, <laughs> right? But all of these things are important. Um, yeah. As you know, when you get into an interview, it is a two-way conversation. You're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. Um, and it's not just a job. Right. We don't want people to be going in just because of the push factors from not wanting to be in medicine or not wanting to be in their in their jobs anymore to then go into another role where they might feel the same thing. Hundred um, percent. No, no role is perfect. No industry is perfect. And I probably consciously didn't dwell too much on the sort of push factors because I think that never comes across. You know, people want to hire probably people who are very enthusiastic who want to be in that industry or pull to it for the right reasons. And I think that's really important to articulate and come across because everybody knows the problems within the healthcare system. You know, it's well documented. It's on every sort of aspect of the media, but it's really understanding your why. You know, I think, you know, John Dickham mentioned that really well in his podcast about culture. And I know Paul Hercock did one with you that was looking at Beyond the Ward and really articulated nicely about, you know, being strategic, understanding your why, and then implementing all of those sort of actions because there's probably no silver bullet. It's not like a course that you can 
sign up to, which will help, but you have to do lots of probably different things that all maybe give you one or two percent. And then finally, as a whole package, that gives you the best opportunity to then get into any opportunity in life. So ending on a high note, what advice or recommendations would you have for doctors who are actually forget that I want you to tell us the story of how you got into a conference and Uh, you really persevered to get in because I think that's a really important story that I really wanted to kind of bring to the forefront of how that can really open how perseverance can open doors and opportunities yeah so that's a good question I think for me that was back in the summer of 2022, I was looking for sort of conferences. The world was opening back up after the pandemic. So wait, hold on. This is like a year ago, guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, yeah, back in the year 1960. No, it was actually just last year. Literally, sort of <laughs> end of COVID and post-COVID. So this was just right. as everything was opening back up. And I remember thinking, I need to, you know, meet people. I need to engage. I need to learn a lot about and quickly and I thought a conference would be a really good thing to attend and I saw on LinkedIn I think it was um, there was some traction about a big international conference in the south of France it was being hosted by an international organization that does lots of you know events with different sectors and I thought that would be great so I went online applied but there was a big stumbling block that it cost thousands of pounds just to attend you know, and I was a registrar, senior registrar at the time. So I thought, let me email the, the host and ask, you know, are there any tickets for doctors or trainees? And the person who replied said, unfortunately not, but there's still some tickets available. Um, send me the link for the very expensive tickets. So I thought, this isn't going to work. Let me sort of respond back and ask them, is there any sort of tickets for people who want to sort of help or to, you know, promote the conference, whether that's through social media or to help do reports. And they were like, no, we have international agencies that do all of that for us. And I sort of said, well, look, you know, I'm really passionate. I gave them my whole sort of background. And she sort of said no again, but she CC'd in her senior colleague. I think she was probably getting a bit frustrated and annoyed that, you know, this guy from the UK keeps emailing her about this conference. And her senior manager just one line said, Here's a ticket. Thank you very much. Best wishes. And he just sent me a ticket, which was free of charge to attend this conference in the south of France. Wow. But it was one thing I didn't notice was the dates and my own calls. And (laughs) (laughs) again, I was back in the NHS. So I finished a night shift, bought a flight, went straight out there for the weekend because a lot of these conferences in Europe are on weekends. Mm. And attended this conference, but it was one of the best things that I did for me because I just met a lot of people, learned a lot about the industry. And I think I came back being able to understand the language of the industry because I don't think I appreciate that small nuance, you know, how people communicate, what sort of roles are. Um, and that just gave me a little bit of confidence that maybe I knew a little bit more about what I was talking about. So, yeah. That was yeah, a really interesting experience that I just thought at that point, you know, just go for things. What's the worst that can happen? Uh, I, th- I think that's such a wonderful story because, I mean, yeah, that, that persistence. But then actually 
he did what it took to actually get to, to go to, go to south of France. You mentioned, um, and post on call. I've, I've I've had so many stories about post nights, and then you roll onto a flight, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the benefits of attending events in person strongly outweighs, particularly now when we're kind of we've all got digital fatigue post COVID. Um, strongly outweighs the online in the sense that you get to meet people in person, you get the chemistry, the language you mentioned, which is a really important part of that as well, especially if you're new to the sector and it can open up so many opportunities. I mean, one of our fellows on uh, Doctors and Industry Fellowship, uh, they went to a conference, a med tech conference and met a whole bunch of people and that essentially solidified their position in the sector if you know what I mean, because Absolutely. the same type of people do tend to go to the same type of events. And when you've seen someone at least twice, you're like, oh, okay, you're serious. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, I can trust you now. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's a great way of meeting people. It's a great way of learning. And also it just gives you a little bit of confidence. So then you come back inspired, you know, this is what you want to do, or you actually do enjoy this industry or this specialty. And, you know, I have to put a disclaimer on it. There are so many events, you know, locally, nationally, internationally, it doesn't have to be a broad, you know, don't be afraid to invest a bit of time and money in yourself. I think it does always pay off in my personal experience. Absolutely. Anyway, it was wonderful to have you discuss this really important topic on the power of perseverance and career change. Um, any last tidbits of advice for our listeners? Yeah, just keep going of course, I understand it's difficult, but you know, if you really want to do it, you will. And there's lots of help out there. Don't be afraid to ask. If you want to reach out, you can contact me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to share my details there. And um, yeah, all the best. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time, Yuki. Thanks for having me, Beta.